Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And if you're anything like me, you've been waiting since the conclusion of the trial stage of Epic versus Apple in May for an opinion rendered by the court telling us who won that darn thing, at least before it inevitably gets appealed. Well, unfortunately, this video is not that video, but it is a 50-second video in our An Antitrust Epic playlist because some important things have happened in the world of Apple, in the world of Epic, that I wanted to bring to your attention because they might well have an impact on how Apple versus Epic is resolved. If you haven't been following this story, Apple went out just a few days ago with a headline entitled, Apple US Developers Agree to App Store Updates that will support businesses and maintain a great experience for users. Yes, it's an Apple corporate headline. It is marketing speak, but it says something important. And what it says is that they have settled one of the major cases that was brought against them in respect of whether or not they are an illegal anti-competitive monopoly that operates the iOS ecosystem. In their press release, they say Apple Today announced a number of changes coming to the App Store that, pending court approval, will resolve a class action suit from U.S. developers. So the way settlement works is by the time you're in litigation, you've got two parties, you're spending the court's time. This has been going on for years, this particular case, and we'll talk about it in just a second. When you've agreed to a settlement, that actually has to go and be approved by the court. Now, in most circumstances, the court isn't going to just substitute its judgment for the judgment of two parties involved in a civil action, but there are exceptions to that. Now, importantly, as part of this story, this particular case is being adjudicated by the same judge, Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers, that is evaluating and presumably pretty close to finished writing an opinion on Epic versus Apple. In fact, if we go back in time and look at her acceptance and denial of the motion for an injunction in Epic versus Apple, remembering that this was where they said, yes, Apple can keep Fortnite off of the store, but it can't just terminate the contracts with the Unreal Engine folks. And we'll come back to that towards the second half of this video. She said things like, the battle between Epic Games and Apple has apparently been brewing for some time. It is not clear why now became so urgent. The Cameron case, which addresses the same issues, has been pending for over a year, and yet both Epic Games and Apple remain successful market players. If plaintiffs there or here prevail, monetary damages will be available and injunctive relief requiring a change in practice will likely be required. Epic Games moves this court to allow it to access Apple's platform for free while it makes money on each purchase made on the same platform. While the court anticipates experts will opine that Apple's 30% take is anti-competitive, and indeed Epic's ac experts did say that in May of this year, the court doubts that an expert would suggest a 0% alternative. Not even Epic Games gives away its products for free. Keep that in mind, this whole paragraph, when we do get to the second half of this video. But that Cameron case is the case that is purported to be settled. And I didn't go over Cameron with you back when it was filed, primarily because I wasn't focused on these questions in virtual legality when it was filed in the summer of 2019, but also because it suffers from the same problems that Epic's case would ultimately wind up having, and that it's not a good fit for the Sherman Antitrust Act and for the cases on the books with respect to antitrust law. They say Apple's an abusive monopoly, an iOS app, in-app distribution services, uh, or they're a monopsony provider of 
app and in-app retailing and all these various things that you're probably pretty familiar with from Epic's arguments. And this is why the Epic case was ultimately assigned to Judge Rogers is because she was already going over a case that had very similar concepts. Now, this settlement is then important not only because it eliminates a set of Epic allies from the board because they have essentially agreed with Apple that what we're about to talk about is fine with them for settling all these issues. It also kind of establishes what Apple is willing to do in a fashion that might also inform the ultimate opinion in Epic versus Apple. Now, interestingly, this originally got reported on in a number of places as Apple giving major concessions. And I read this when I was away from the office and I looked at it and said, oh, Apple didn't wind up giving up much. So we're going to talk about why and what it is that Apple did. Continuing with their own press release, the agreement clarifies that developers can share purchase options with users outside of their iOS app, expands the price points developers can offer for subscriptions, in-app purchases, and paid apps, and establishes a new fund to assist qualifying U.S. developers. So we've got a non-admittance of any problems. We're clarifying something that we already believed. We are expanding something, price points. I don't know whether that'll be that you can sell an app for 50 cents or something outside of the 99 cent dollar spectrum. We'll talk about that when we get to the bullet points. And then there's a monetary settlement. They're agreeing to a new fund. It won't necessarily go to the people that brought the case, but it will be new money that Apple is spending that they wouldn't have otherwise spent as part of the settlement. They say, following a productive dialogue, Apple and the plaintiffs in the Cameron et al. versus Apple Inc. developer suit reached an agreement that identifies seven key priorities shared by Apple and small developers. We just had to have a talk with the help of a little bit of litigation in order to understand that we're both really the same and can make money for each other. In a validation of the App Store small business program, Apple and the developers agreed to maintain the program in its current structure for at least the next three years. Now, if you aren't familiar with the small business program, this is the program that Apple put into place under a lot of pressure from the epics of the world that says, instead of paying us 30%, you only have to pay us 15% really through the first million dollars that you make. And there's some other bells and whistles that go with that, but it's a reduced commission for what they describe as small developers, small business, right? So they have agreed to maintain that. This was something they were already doing. They've agreed to maintain it for at least the next three years. Not really a big concession, especially since it's a program that already exists. At the request of developers, Apple has agreed that its search results will continue to be based on objective characteristics like download star ratings, text relevance, and user behavior signals. The agreement will keep the current App Store search system in place for at least the next three years. Now, this is amusing to me because, of course, we followed the Epic case very strongly, very diligently, hopefully with a lot of information conveyed here in virtual legality on that case. One of the things that was complained about was the fact that Apple was evaluating its own products in a different fashion than it was evaluating other products. We saw this referenced, for instance, in the House subcommittee's report on potential antitrust violations at Apple and the other tech giants. So the concession of we'll keep doing what we're doing is of little use to the folks like Epic that think there's a real problem with the way search results are conveyed. So no concessions yet if you're keeping score at home. To give developers even more flexibility to reach their customers, Apple is also clarifying that developers can use communications such as email to share information about payment methods outside of their iOS app. As always, developers will not pay Apple a commission on any purchases taking place outside of their app 
or the App Store, but users must consent to the communication and have the right to opt out. Now, here's actually a little bit reverse baseball. They have said that they are clarifying something that I'm pretty convinced is a change. The reason they're saying they are clarifying it is because this position that developers can use things like email was a stance that they took specifically in the trial case of Epic versus Apple. So if we look at what this specific section says right now, 3.1.3, other purchase methods, the following apps may use purchase methods other than in-app purchase because the baseline rule is you got to use in-app purchase. Among the types of apps that can use other methods are multi-platform services. Apps that operate across multiple platforms may allow users to access content, subscriptions, or features they have acquired in your app on other platforms or your website, including consumable items in multi-platform games, provided those items are also available as in-app purchases within the app. So broadly speaking, something like Fortnite can sell currency on the Epic website or on your Nintendo or your PlayStation, and you can have a shared account that will still see those things in the iPhone version of Fortnite if and when it ever comes back. So they're allowed to do other purchase methods off the App Store. Apple then says apps in this section cannot, within the app, encourage users to use a purchasing method other than in-app purchase. Developers cannot use information obtained within the app to target individual users outside of the app to use purchasing methods other than in-app purchase, such as sending an individual user an email about other purchasing methods after that individual signs up for an account. Developers can send communications outside of the app to their user base about purchasing methods other than in-app purchase. Now, if this sounds like a very thinly sliced onion to you, you are not wrong. What Apple is trying to claim here is that you are not allowed to send an email that is just directly related to someone signing up for your app in the app store on that day. That you're not allowed to just collect email information and say, hey, you can get this for 40% off or 70% off over here on the website. Don't buy it in the app store. You are, however, allowed to generally send emails to what is going to be, hopefully, if you're successful, a growing email list of people that like your game. It's a very fine distinction, but it's a distinction that Apple specifically claimed in Epic versus Apple in the closing arguments, as a for instance, May 24th, 2021. I've got up my own video from a set of tweets and it says Apple's argument is basically that developers can totally email consumers with promotions, but they can't specifically send targeted emails to users who have just signed up telling them that they can get something cheaper by going elsewhere. This is May 24th, 2021, not after the language we just looked at. This is what Apple says was already the policy. They're just clarifying. But if we go back and look at the review guidelines from May 24th, thanks to the internet wayback machine, we can see completely different language here. The following apps may use purchase methods other than in-app purchase. Apps in this section cannot either within the app or through communications sent to points of contact obtained from account registration within the app, like email or text, encourage users to use a purchasing method other than in-app purchase. That's the whole section as it existed when Apple was saying, oh, sure, general promotions are absolutely fine. They have instead said, we're going to clarify that as part of the settlement with the Cameron case, but it's not so different from what they said they were reading their section at already. It does, however, appear to be a concession from where I'm sitting because I don't read that section as saying what they claimed it said in court really at all. Even then, 
the distinction between getting some information from inside the app and putting it through email, as long as it's part of the user base and not directly related to registering within the app is going to be something that Apple can potentially use like any other bit of ambiguous language we talk about here in virtual legality and use it as a hammer against developers that for whatever reason it decides it doesn't like. So this is not great language in my opinion. And it certainly can't be used as a concession when you've gone out in your court case in May and said, this is how you read this section already. So, yep, they say it's clarification. Maybe it is a clarification, but I think they actually changed the language because they knew Epic had a pretty strong foothold on this particular point. And as we've talked about as part of this series, the place where Apple is the most vulnerable is in respect of anti-steering rules. Those rules where Apple says you're not allowed to say something to your customer about having a discounted option elsewhere off the store. The judge in the case clearly had the biggest problem with those anti-steering rules. I still think that Apple is very likely to win the case in the bulk, 95% maybe even as a win, but that the judge is also at least signaling in what we heard back in May that she might be willing to allow for certain changes or requirements in respect of Apple's anti-steering rules. And one of the things that's happening as part of this press release is Apple getting in front of that a little bit and saying, oh yes, these other developers, everybody really outside of Epic in this class action have agreed that this clarification is good and it's what they wanted out of this section. So Epic is, at least from Apple's perspective, having one of their weapons really disarmed in the fight that Epic and Apple are having. Continuing with their concessions, Apple will also expand the number of price points available to developers for subscriptions and app purchases and paid apps from fewer than 100 to more than 500. So that seems like it's a five times level of resolution. Maybe they're adding quarters. Maybe it's maybe you can do it in 25 cent increments. That would do about that kind of change. They won't say in this press release exactly what they're changing there, but we'll have to watch that. Apple will maintain the option for developers to appeal the rejection of an app based on perceived unfair treatment, a process that continues to prove successful. So right now, if you're keeping score, we've got this language change, which I think is actually concession, but Apple doesn't want to admit it. We've got increased price points, which I don't think would bother Apple really much at all other than logistically. And we will maintain what we've already been doing to address perceived unfair treatment. I love press releases. I love this language, right? It's not unfair treatment. It's just... They got misunderstood. It was perceived unfair treatment. And by the way, in this settlement, we agree to maintain doing what we've already been doing. Okay, Apple. Over the last several years, Apple has provided a great deal of new information about the App Store on Apple.com. Apple has agreed to create an annual transparency report based on that data, which will share meaningful statistics about the app review process, including the number of apps rejected for different reasons, the number of customer and developer accounts deactivated, etc., etc. So they've got a small language change. They're going to increase price points. They're going to have a transparency report they're going to put up on their website. And we'll also establish a fund to assist small developers, particularly as the world continues to suffer from the effects of COVID-19. Eligible developers must have earned a million dollars or less through the U.S. storefront for all of their apps in every calendar year in which the developers had an account between June of 2015 and April of 2021, encompassing 99% of developers in the U.S. Details will be made available at a later date. They're going to give some money away to some folks and we'll figure out what that looks like later. So basically, it's a small language change that they have claimed in court isn't actually a change in the way that they have operated. It's some additional price points. 
and it's some money that they're giving out to some developers at the million dollars or less level. And that's it. That's all they're changing for what was a very long antitrust fight that formed the basis for some of what we saw in Epic versus Apple. And to be honest, it's not much of anything. If we go and we look at Tim Sweeney, he says, who's major concessions? A commander in the store wars, perhaps? So far, I can find major concessions only in headlines and not in court documents. Has anyone seen major concessions? Where is she? To which I have to respond, yeah, Mr. Sweeney is right. In his own company's trial, Apple's basic claim was that such communications were always allowed. They just couldn't be tied to registration. Not that the rules read that way, of course. In that light, this looks like Apple is giving up nothing, question mark. And so you've got a disarmament of a major ally for Epic to a judge that's evaluating the Epic concerns simultaneously and looking at a set of developers that don't have the billions of dollars that Epic does and looking at them saying that this is an acceptable resolution of this particular problem. Now, the judge doesn't have to accept it. The judge doesn't even have to take it into account, really, when deciding Epic versus Apple. But that's not how human beings operate. So it's an interesting kind of set of data points in this particular fight against Apple by Epic. And of course, things got weird from there as Tim Sweeney wound up liking that tweet. Now, he likes a tweet that says Mr. Sweeney is right, but it's interesting because we have obviously had our differences on Twitter, but I have to say I do respect someone that doesn't block someone else, doesn't ad hominem attack me, and we have some pretty strong conversations on social media about the things that he is facing. I disagree with a lot of the theories of his case, uh, but in virtual legality, if we stand for anything, it's that we will acknowledge when somebody makes a good point, and certainly I think Mr. Sweeney made a good point there. Now, Tim Sweeney giveth, and Tim Sweeney taketh away. Tech companies using termination of contracts as a way to exert control is one thing that really needs to change. At Epic, we recently changed our Unreal Engine license so that we can't terminate it even if a customer violates its terms. That's interesting. Apple's punishing Epic and all of our customers for a decision Epic made to challenge their in-app payments and store monopoly. Apple didn't have to block Fortnite. They could have asked the court to stop us. Instead, they blocked Fortnite and were asking the court to stop them. Yes, that is in fact what happened. Of course, if you have a termination right in your contract and you've got a breach in front of you, you don't need to ask the court. You just stop servicing your contract partner. Tim Sweeney continues, if a licensee owes Epic money and refuses to pay, all we can do is go to court and ask the court to order them to pay. We can't stop their teams from building products, stop stores from distributing their products, or disrupt their customer relationships. Every developer should think very carefully about their future willingness to enter into business relationships that give powerful companies the ability to act as judge, jury, and executioner. It doesn't have to be this way. Now, I find this 100% fascinating, right? You know, if you've been in virtual legality for a while, I'm a commercial lawyer. I'm a corporate lawyer. I do contracts for a living and I help companies navigate difficult and thorny contract issues, etc., etc. Never in my entire career now of 16, 17 years have I seen a contract proposed that doesn't have a, hey, if you breach your obligations to me, we can stop this relationship because... That's pretty normal. It's pretty intuitive. And even though Tim Sweeney says the only operative obligation here 
is the payment, which we can see here in section five of the Unreal license. You agree to pay Epic a royalty equal to 5% of all worldwide gross revenue. Interestingly, by the way, Unreal doesn't give you a discount for the middleman purchases. The royalty is based on gross revenue from end users, regardless of whether you sell your product to end users directly, self-publish via the app store or any similar store, or work with a publisher. The following simplified example illustrates the application of the royalty to gross sales. If your product earns $10 on the app store, Apple may pay you seven, having deducted 30%, but your royalty to Epic would still be 5% of $10. You actually owe Epic royalties on gross uh, and not on net. So they aren't actually being harmed by the app store price on the Unreal side at all. But it's not just royalties that are the obligations that you have when you're talking about an intellectual property license, right? When you're talking about what you actually have to do under a contract, you're agreeing to all sorts of kinds of things, especially with a sophisticated software piece like an engine. You may distribute products or the license technology as follows. These are permissions that are attached to your license. Everything that isn't listed here, you can't do. You may distribute non-engine products to a third party. And a non-engine product means a product made using the license technology, the Unreal Engine, that does not include engine code or paid content distributed in uncooked source format. You're allowed to use the Unreal Engine to make your game. You're not allowed to distribute the engine itself as part of the game. It can, it can operate your game, but it's not an engine that you're selling. That's what we do here at Epic Games. So you can't do that. But if you don't have a term or termination section, all right, let's say I breach that. You can only go to the court to sue over that breach. And during that time, you'd still have to service me. I'd still have a license to everything else. When you generate revenue from a product or distribute it to end users, you must provide Epic with advanced notification at unrealengine.com slash release. Okay, well, what if I decide not to do that? You may not combine, distribute, or otherwise use the license technology with any code or other content which is covered by a license that would directly or indirectly require that all or part of the license technology be governed under any terms other than those of this agreement. For instance, copyleft stuff, open source stuff. You're not supposed to combine our proprietary software with that kind of software because things can get thorny. But, hey... I decide I'm going to breach this provision in the agreement. Yes, you can sue me for that breach, and I imagine that they would. But during the time of that litigation, which we now know in virtual legality can last a pretty long time, you would have to continue giving me access to your source code, to your engine, and to everything else, despite the fact that I may or may not be paying you, and I may be violating other portions of this agreement. How about general restrictions? You may not engage in any activity with respect to the licensed technology, including as incorporated into a product that violates any applicable law or regulation. Let's say you do something with the Unreal Engine that somehow violates the law. Instead of terminating the contract and getting out of the way of the liability bus, Epic is saying, well, I guess we'll continue to service this and we'll sue you for the violation. But if a third party comes around and sues them, well, they're just going to have to eat that liability. Why? Because you could breach other portions of the agreement. Now, there is a weird bit of language here talking about paid content separate from the engine that says your license to paid content is subject to your payment of the associated fee, which could be applied to the royalty payments for the engine itself. I don't think they intend it that way, certainly not based on Tim Sweeney's tweets, which like other Tim Sweeney tweets would come up in a court of law if it came down to it on this particular question. But it does suggest that they do want to be paid for the access that they are otherwise giving to you. Epic may conduct reasonable audits of your books and records. Audits will be conducted during business hours on reasonable prior notice to you. What if you say no, right? You say, okay, 
On a royalty contract, as we've talked about in the past, usually you give the other side the right to look at your books and records because it's a percentage of the revenues that you're otherwise making. If I say no, I'm in breach of contract. But if you go and sue me for that breach, what are your damages? Especially if I'm keeping my books and records properly. What else are you losing in this document if you can't terminate the agreement? You have to keep giving me the right to use the license. I'm telling you I'm paying you enough, but I'm not letting you in my doors because I don't want you in there. Yeah, I'm in breach of the agreement, but you're gonna, you're gonna sue me over that? And what exactly are you going to sue me over in terms of the damages that you have realized? You agree to indemnify Epic for any claim that if true would constitute a breach by you of this agreement. Nah, not gonna do that. You're gonna have to sue me for that. I'm also not paying you and I might be violating the law. Export compliance, you agree to comply with all applicable federal and foreign laws and complete any required undertakings related to exporting technology? Nah, I'm not going to do that either. I'm just a bad boy. I'm just always trying to breach my agreements. But you've agreed not to terminate no matter what I do. And in fact, in case you think Tim Sweeney was just blowing smoke, we can go and we can look at the change log for version 16 of this end user license agreement removes term and termination section. We can head back to the Wayback Machine and see that it used to have a normal one. Epic may terminate the agreement by providing written notice if you materially breach any provision of this agreement. A contract is an understanding between two parties in which each exchange something of value to enter into that contract. If you decide you're not going to do that, I can terminate the relationship. Yes, I can still sue you for damages, but I don't have to continue providing you access or support or whatever else I've agreed to do as part of this relationship. Epic in an effort to try to box Apple into a corner. Because remember, in Epic versus Apple, one of the things that is happening behind the scenes is that there is an injunction right now that Apple cannot take off the unreal access to the iOS. But Epic has acted so strongly and so clearly in breach that if Epic doesn't win its case, it seems hard to imagine that Apple wouldn't have the right to terminate those relationships once that opinion comes down. Now, there'll be appeals and other injunctions and all that kind of thing. But Epic has to know, and they had to know this back in September and August of last year, that acting so brazenly against Apple will make Apple more reluctant to do business with you. They don't trust you at a fundamental level anymore. It's one of the reasons they try to get rid of Unreal. Yes, to punish Epic, don't get me wrong. But also because without that element of trust, you don't want to be in a relationship with someone. Epic now knows the opinion is coming down imminently and has changed their agreement to eliminate their own right to terminate Unreal licenses so that they can try to box Apple into, at bare minimum, a public relations or political corner in a way that I just don't think is going to work. Note also the other reasons that Epic can terminate you. The agreement will terminate automatically as of the date you commence any claim that the license technology, the Unreal Engine, infringes a patent. We don't want contract partners that are bringing an action for infringement actively against us. They've eliminated this whole section so they can no longer terminate people for that. They have to continue offering access to the source code, working with the people that have otherwise signed up with them, even if they're in the midst of bringing a lawsuit against Epic, not paying for what they claim to be infringing intellectual property and maybe causing other trouble for Epic on the ground. Effect of the termination when it originally existed, the Epic licenses will terminate. You may no longer exercise the rights granted to you by the Epic licenses, and you must destroy all copies of the license technology. We are no longer in business together. And Epic, in a fit of pique, said, no, no, 
we aren't going to have this provision in one of our baseline revenue generating licenses anymore. If you want to talk a little bit more about term and termination and why they exist, I covered this when I talked about a game publishing agreement in part eight, ending the marriage. We talk about why they work, how they work, why they're important in contract land. And ultimately, if you think it's silly, know that you're not alone. I tweeted out, yeah, I don't see this lasting. There's a reason termination for breach is industry standard. That said, you got to appreciate that Epic is willing to throw every possible thing at Apple at this point. They are definitely putting their money where their mouth is. And I strongly suspect that they will find in fairly short order that bad actors exist on all sides of the monetary and development and publishing spectrum and that people will take advantage of situations like this, especially for de minimis amounts that don't make sense to pay lawyers to go and prosecute. So Epic versus Apple continues at least in proxy war form with respect to settlements in Cameron and Mr. Tim Sweeney going out there and trying his best to make Apple look bad. Did he succeed on this score? I don't think so, but maybe you have a different opinion. Leave a comment to this video about how you think things are going, where this is all gonna wind up in that opinion and appeals process, and what, if anything, Epic and Tim Sweeney could do to continue to try to move the needle on either how you feel about Apple or how the government might choose to regulate the same. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy talking about the business and law of video games, technology, pop culture, and more, please consider supporting us. We appreciate every bit of support. We've got a Patreon on your screen, as you can see. We've got other methods of support you can see in the description of the video, or just subscribing, leaving those comments, telling folks we're having these conversations in this space is so, so very helpful. And I appreciate each and every one of you that helped do that for the channel. This has been Virtual Legality. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Thanks again. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.